Hi, I'm Kevin DeCristofano. I'm Sean Flanagan. And we are the Ninja Turtle Nerds, your weekly podcast for covering the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics one penultimate issue at a time. What's been going on in life, Sean? It's been a while since I talked to you. Uh, I finally saw Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight for the first time, and I, I don't know how I missed that one. I don't even know what that is. What's that? It's the first Tales from the Crypt movie. Were they uh, they did movies? They did two movies, yep. You know I'm not like a horror person or like I don't really get into that stuff. Demon Knight. I remember. I don't remember, I remember that being on all the time. Bordello of Blood, I remember Comedy Central playing with Dennis Miller. Is it a comedy? Bordello of Blood is... Uh, Demon Knight kind of felt like Evil Dead to me, but with Billy Zane being ridiculous. They need to just change their name from Comedy Central. They just need to change their name to Central. Like, <laughs> what do they show they on there so now? Much, especially back when we were growing up. like It was like stand-up specials, Daily Show... And then, like, the rest was, like, a, a, you know, maybe it's funny. Like, they, they would put up whatever they could. I don't think I've ever seen any of those. Well. Did I, you like it? Yeah, I mean, they're both entertaining. Like I said, Demon Knight reminded me of Evil Dead. It kind of had that same, like, wacky Sam Raimi thing going. But, no, they were really entertaining. I mean, I, the behind-the-scenes about Bordello of Blood is almost more interesting than the movie. Because I guess Dennis Miller was a prima donna. And I'm like, that's just funny to me. I, I've never envisioned somebody like Dennis Miller having the pull to be a prima donna. <laughs> like, it's not like he was ever a gigantic comedian. I know he had his show and he was on yeah. SNL, but, you know, it's not like people are always quoting Dennis Miller. So, Well, it's funny when you start hearing about, like, not even just comedians, but like, you know, celebrities that ended up on the life's too short list. And you're like, really them? <laughs> like, I didn't think they were popular enough to be a diva, but who knows? Yeah, apparently he was a little bit of a diva during Bordello of Blood. I've been watching not that Westworld, like like we talked about. I'm almost done with season two. Won't spoil anything for you. I've been watching... The superhero movies in order. I'm still doing that. I made it up to X2 today. So oh, nice. It's really starting to be a flood. I, I texted you this the other day, but I was like, okay, so what's coming up? Let me like look at like the next five, you know? And it's really crazy that Batman Begins is less than a year after Spider-Man 2. Like those seem like such different worlds of superhero movies. And it's, That's like a dividing line, for sure. It is, and it's still pre-MCU. I don't know. It's an interesting time. And it also makes it crazy that, like, Spider-Man, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3 is still to come. But, like, it's like Spider-Man 2, Batman Begins in, in the order. Uh, there might be some that I don't count in there because this list has, like, everything on it. And some of them are, like... This was an Italian comic strip that they made a movie about and stuff like that. and like, Or like an indie comic that I never heard of that they made a low-budget movie for. Like, I don't count that stuff. So does X2 hold up? It does. Uh, not as much as like 
I feel like people would believe because like, I don't know. I always hear people list the best X-Men movie and they're like, oh, X2 was amazing. And I'm like, yeah, when it came out, but have you watched it recently? It's, it's, it's like a B, it's like a B, B plus. It's not, we've done a lot better since X2. We needed X2 to get to where we are. Okay. (laughs) And, and the, the scene where they invade the school is still amazing. But I feel like the ending of the movie kind of falls flat when they infiltrate that Hoover Dam type place. <laughs> I don't know what it's, it's supposed to be off the top of my oh, head. Oh, the the Weapon X facility. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I feel like that ending falls kind of flat. And there's and when I get to X3, like I don't hate that movie like lots of people do. So maybe my opinion is completely invalid. But it's not the best X-Men movie, but... That's another one. We've come so far since X3. There have been worse X-Men movies. I won't I wouldn't put that at the bottom. Yeah, I Especially if you include the spin-offs. I really like Brian Cox as the villain in X2. Yeah, he's really good. He he's who if if he hadn't done that movie, he's who I would have cast as the villain in Logan. It's so weird that that franchise and I know that superhero movies being like the big thing was new at the time. They they were just like you know, Spider-Man and X-Men were the ones who made that explode again. And it's so weird that that trilogy has like no direction to it. It's kind of like the sequel trilogy for Star Wars. where like, it's so weird that they didn't map out a clear plan. Yep. Because when you watch X3, it's so contrary to how you think of superhero movies today. Where like, they made X3 with the idea that this is the last X-Men movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and I'm not saying they did that completely. Cause I think Wolverine was actually in production at the same time. Wolverine origins. But if you watch that movie, they end so many characters where it's like, you guys really wanted this to be like the end of the story. They didn't think like, Oh, the MCU wasn't 20 movies deep yet. Yeah. <laughs> so they would have never done that today. They would have never ended that movie with, with Magneto depowered, I mean, he kind of moves the chess piece at the end, but he's pretty depowered. Yeah. Um, Charles, Charles Xavier's in a hospital bed. Um, they they kill off a bunch of characters. The Rogue went and took the cure and lost her powers. Yep. Paint themselves into a, this is the finale corner with that movie. And then they had to do time travel shenanigans to, to fix it. But let's talk about some different mutants, Sean. (laughs) Good segue. Let's talk about some mutant turtles. So today we are gathered here to talk about the penultimate issue of Volume 2. It's issue 12. The name of it is The Escape. The cover artist is A.C. Farley. Story by Jim Lawson, Kevin Eastman, and Peter Laird. Pencils, Jim Lawson. Inks, Eric Talbot. Lettering, Mary Kelleher. Colors, Eric Vincent. But on the IDW reprint, the colors are by Digicore Design Limited. This issue is also from September of 1995. So for the first time, we got a double dip month. It must have been like five weeks that month or something. Five Wednesdays. That had to be exciting if you were like reading it and it's like, the other one's already out. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We took eight months off and then we threw two at you in the same month. So, 
a lot of the movies and everything, like to, to recap, I did, I looked up some different facts because obviously we're not just going to list the same stuff. So let's go take a look at a different view of what was going on when this comic was out, which was the same month as the last comic. This month in entertainment. So movies of September of 1995. I put these in an order. I'm not sure if it makes sense, but I took the top five domestic movies, domestic box office from September 95, and I put them in order of their total box office. Oh, okay. So you get what I'm saying? Yep. So that might mean there's a movie that was out in September that made more money than these, but its domestic box office at the time wasn't higher. So this is just a, a, a weird way for me to do the data. But in as of September, the top five movies domestically in theaters were Seven. Oh, all right. Know, seven. That came out in oh i don't have it here but it was it didn't come out in september it was just still in theaters a holdover from a previous month that was the number one domestic and uh that total made a hundred million worldwide then we have dangerous minds made 85 million worldwide (laughs) and here's an interesting one the third place here mortal kombat made 70 million worldwide which is way more of a success than people talk about that movie being like, i people thought talk it about made that... more money than that i mean that's not bad yeah but like people talk about mortal kombat like it's a low budget b movie and maybe it was low budget made but like 70 million you know that's keeping up with these other blockbusters here and then the next one a walk in the clouds made 50 million I don't remember a walk in the clouds. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but it made fifty million. To Wong Fu, thanks for everything. Julie Newmar made thirty-six million. That's the last one. All right, that's better than I thought that movie would have done at the time. Yeah, so it's a little weird because one thing that I saw in the data was Apollo thirteen has this weird thing where I don't know if it had multiple releases or something, but it said Apollo thirteen was still in theaters in September, came out in June. It says it made nine million domestic, but somehow a hundred million worldwide. Those numbers are so far apart. I don't know what's happening there, because you would think it would make all its money in America. It's a it, it's a very American movie, Apollo yeah. thirteen. It's about yeah. our space program. Huh. So maybe they added an alien or something in in the national <laughs> international release. <laughs> I feel like I don't trust any of this data. Don't listen to me, but listen to me. So (laughs) music of September 95 danger. I looked up instead of the number one songs because we did that last episode. I did the number one album. Yep. Dangerous Minds soundtrack was the number one selling album for the first four weeks, which you couldn't escape Dangerous Minds. No. Coolio. And then the last week of September, they uh, lost their spot to Hootie and the Blowfish. For the last week, the album was Cracked Rear View. Video games, I I already went over the Nintendo Power cover, which was Killer Instinct. Hot combos from the pros. So this time around, we're going to talk about the Game Pro cover. Cover of Game Pro, September 95, Primal Rage, with a giant T-Rex spitting fire out of his mouth on the cover. (laughs) 
That'll sell some magazines. I'm surprised that game never got a sequel. Well, one thing I thought was interesting about this game pro is because it's a multi-platform magazine, it lists the systems on the cover that, that are covered in the issue. Yeah. And it says Genesis, SNES, PlayStation. Ooh. We're moving into the PlayStation era, Sean, with these comics. And believe it or not, like September 95, we're less than a year away from the Nintendo 64 dropping as well. So pretty soon, this segment is going to be like games that we have very vivid memories of. Yeah, we grew up with Super Nintendo, but when we were in junior high, PlayStation and Nintendo 64 is what was a thing. And those are like your formative years. You know what I mean? That's yeah. your teenage years, your 12 to 18 yeah, we're, we're about to get some of those games. This issue also mentions it has a review of Chrono Trigger, which <laughs> remember last episode I said, like, Chrono Trigger is all over these magazines. I have no idea how I missed that game as a kid. Like, I, I didn't play it. I played it in college when I was going back and hitting, like, all the classics I missed. And, yeah, it's all over Nintendo Power and Game Pro, but it's a good game. Wish I played it when it came out, so I had, like, nostalgia for it, but I still love it. TV events. So, obviously, I did all the main ones last episode. So, what I did this time, I looked up the most watched television programs from September. Oh, all right. The month was split in half. The first two weeks, the number one watch show was Home Improvement, bringing in 25 million viewers. The next two weeks were Seinfeld with 35 million viewers. So Home Improvement had just started its fifth season that month. And Seinfeld was starting season seven when that show was unstoppable, pretty much. <laughs> like, I think that's one of the only shows that got better as it went the whole way through. Yeah. The first season is painful if you watch it on Netflix or whatever it's on. If you're listening to this in the future, it keeps changing. But it, the first season's, like, painful. Second season, kind of still finding its legs. And, like, it just keeps getting better as it goes. And I'm not one of – I even don't – I don't hate the last episode like lots of people do. No. I don't think no, it's the it, best episode. It but. made sense, though. Yeah. So to put that in perspective, Seinfeld had 35 million viewers. Here's how big Seinfeld was. The most watched television show of that year was, of course, the Super Bowl. Right. It had 85 million viewers. Sign like, not too shabby. Like, about half the viewers of the Super Bowl. That's crazy. I don't know. Do people watch sitcoms anymore? They stream them. <laughs> I'm waiting for... I saw a trailer for a new TV show the other day. And you know what I'm waiting for to become standard on those commercials? Because it was like, I forget what channel, but it was like Comedy Central, 8 p.m. Wednesdays or whatever. That's how, you know, that's how these things end. I'm waiting for Comedy Central, Wednesdays at 8, streaming next day on Hulu. Like, I'm waiting for, like, standard in those commercials now. Like, okay, where do I stream this next day? Because that's right. what I care about. I'm yep. not going to appointment television this. So the Super Bowl that year, if anyone was wondering, was uh, the San Diego Chargers versus the San Francisco 49ers. Very California Super Bowl. 49ers. Who are you taking in that? You got to go with the 49ers. 
You going with the 49ers? The yeah. 49ers, you are correct, defeated the Chargers by a score of 49 to 26. Sorry if you taped it and haven't watched it yet. <laughs> There's going to be someone out there that's done that. Someone's got that on VHS, and they can't watch it because they haven't gotten express permission from the NFL. <laughs> when are they going to get back to me? I wrote them a letter asking if I could watch this. That's all the notes that I got for September of 95. I, I was just looking up if anyone's curious. I guess there was a Primal Rage comic book also. There would be. And I don't would- know how you make a comic out of that, though. Like, Godzilla, I kind of get because Godzilla is mostly about the people. How do you make a comic out of Primal Rage? And there was a canceled sequel. All right, so let's talk about... Well, did you tell the readers where... The readers. Did you tell the listeners where they could read this? So, if you're looking for this, it's on Comixology and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Classics, Volume 10. So, this cover, this is a very colorful cover. It is. I, I like this cover. It's, this is another one that would make a cool hologram trading card. This is the hologram. I want a whole line of Ninja Turtles Volume 2 hologram trading cards. Yeah, that would be cool. And now's the time to do it. So. That Triceraton looks very naked, though. For some reason, more so than the ones in the issue. Like, I know some of them are actually wearing clothes, but there's the one that uh, he's got like a little thong that he wears, but he looks way more naked on this cover. I don't know. Well, fortunately, Donnie is blocking our view and finally getting some love (laughs) on the cover. Yeah, basically the cover, if you haven't seen it, go check out our Twitter and our Instagram. We'll post it there. So there's like these giant purple tentacles wrapping around Donatello, Nobody, Leonardo, and a Triceraton. So Leonardo's stabbing the tentacle, Donatello's poking it with his bow, and Nobody's got two guns out, Punisher style. A lot of love for Leo in these covers this time. Yeah, I think they were going with him as like their their guy. You know, he's the leader at this point. They've decided that. All right, so let's get into the book. So at the start of this, it picks up where the last issue left off. You remember last issue, they had sent out a distress signal uh, to the Triceratons, right? No, no, they discovered that that there was a homing beacon that was... Still That's what it was, sorry. So we pick up right here with the Triceraton mothership. It's it's nearing Earth. And we're introduced to these... Sorry, we were introduced to the designs of these motherships back in issue 5 of the first volume. They look like ice cream cones. Yes, supposed they do. To be like a, a, it's like a space rock that they've built a colony on top of. And we said when we covered issue 5, like this is a very Jack Kirby celestial outer space influenced type thing it still is so yeah i love their little ice cream cone cities to uh <laughs> lawson for being able to replicate that so the commander is following a signal from a homing device on the darpa base the ship is in the area because it had been sent to uh it traced the the when the the turtles got sent to earth in issue six they were basically there for that, and then they lost the signal, and now it's been they they were able to reread the signal, and now they're on their way there. So that's kind of trying to give you like this connection to the first volume, which I really like because it you know ties together the stories we liked. You know, the first twelve issues were were solid, and and anything that ties into those is great. Just wish they had more time. 
<laughs> so somewhere along the way, the Triceratons lost the signal, and they've been lost in space for years until now when they received this DARPA signal. They're almost out of resources, and most of the crew has died from a virus, they mention. All that's left is this small tribe of warriors and their commander out to fulfill his mission. My favorite part so far of what I've mentioned in the comic is on page two. Do you have it in front of you? Yeah. The bottom of page two, there's a Triceraton looking right down the barrel of the camera, like looking right at the reader. (laughs) And it's almost like he's like, what do you think of all this so far, reader? (laughs) Are you believing this? (laughs) Remember volume one? I'm going to post this. It's so funny. He's staring right at me. It's like, like the Mona Lisa. His eyes follow you no matter how you read. So anyway, they're almost out of resources. The commander asks one of the Triceratons how many assault craft are operational. And he says, uh, he says there's three. And the commander tells him to go get them. No matter the outcome, soon this is going to be over, he says. Dun, dun, dun. And that's where you would start the theme song. If this was a cartoon. Yeah. So the the Ninja Turtles alien friend, we cut back to them. He's located where Raphael's being held. I love this part. Michelangelo breaks open the tube holding his brother. And like my first reaction reading this, I was like, dude, how about we don't unplug things until we know what these things are? Because for all we know, that was Raph on life support and he just pulled the plug. Yeah, I like that, and I like the moment just before it when the alien locates Raph, and he's, like, plugged in the computer, and it's, like, an even more archaic version of what R2-D2 does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's got, like, it. it's definitely them, like, not inspired by, but, like, riffing. They're, they're, they're yeah, inspired by, I guess you could say. It's definitely a reference to Star Wars, the yeah. way he plugs into this wall. And yeah, then you get on the next page and it's it's him in the tube. And keep in mind, the last time they saw Raphael, he fell off like a five-story building. So like I said, this right. could be life support he's on. <laughs> the first thing Michelangelo does is like, let's smash him out of there. So yeah, they, they get him out of the tube. We've said it before, but it's funny how naked the turtles look too when they're just missing their belt. Raphael yeah. looks very naked here. <laughs> And uh, Casey is still talking like Arnold from his mind control, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he tells Raph, it's good to see you. Leo gives that old chestnut where he's like, there's no time to explain. You Let know. me explain. <laughs> yeah. It's still one of my And the team jokes. splits up. <laughs> the team splits up to search for an escape route. So the Triceraton in this, that large alien that reminded me of the Yellow Devil from Mega Man, they find a stairwell and they start climbing it. Right away, they run into DARPA guards, but the alien, he's, he's got a quicker draw. They mow them all down. So then the Triceraton asks the Yellow, yellow Devil if they're all clear. This is such like a diehard action movie type scene like I, I I love this this little bit here asks if they're all clear and when he con- when the alien confirms it's all good 
The Triceraton just straight up blasts a hole in his chest the size of a school desk. It's like, <laughs> it's this giant <laughs> yeah. hole in the middle of his chest. What a twist. So now we can't trust this Triceraton. But I should say, people listening might not have the full mental image. The turtles don't see any of this. It's the, the two of them kind of split up and went ahead. And now we see, unbeknownst to them, that this guy is probably not someone we should be trusting. And maybe if the volume went on longer, they would have played with this a little longer. Yeah, but yeah. we'll get into that when we wrap things up. Michelangelo shows up. He's like, I heard gunfire. And the Triceraton lies and says, you know, it all happened so fast. You know, like that type of thing. Like those people you see on the news every time their house burns down. It all happened so fast. They always say that. <laughs> I like um, how the Triceraton and the alien refer to the soldiers as the man. <laughs> Damn the man. Save the empire. And anyway, he says there was he says there was no way to save him. They regroup with the others. Leonardo mentions that they found an escape route through like a closet that leads into a cave. It's <laughs> This is the weirdest thing about the issue to me. Yes. It is really weird and I get that this is a secret government facility, but this is something straight out of like those B movies you watch from like the 1940s. Like I'm specifically thinking of like mystery science theater movies that you would watch where like this laboratory leads into a cave. It's like DARPA ran out of money after they put the door in the wall. It's like the least it's like the entrance to the bat cave. If Bruce Wayne didn't have any money. (laughs) just move that tarp aside and you'll get in there (laughs) it's like one step away from having just like a one of those like doors that are just like beads (laughs) (laughs) like beads on string we don't need security alfred i knew you were coming so they go through the door they're in the cave and as the team navigates the tunnels we haven't mentioned this character yet but the the psychic guy lewis he's still here (laughs) and he's talking about how he has a bad feeling which at first I thought because he's psychic and he can read minds at first I thought he was talking about the Triceraton because we just saw that this guy you know betrayed our yellow devil friend and and shot him but on the next page they find that they're at the edge of this steep cliff with like a giant starfish alien at the bottom with tentacles more Kirby type stuff Actually, who created Starro for DC? I was going to say, I'm wondering now. Because <laughs> it's very much like Starro. Character first appeared in Brave and the Bold number 28, was created by Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski. Mike Sikowski, I know that name. Gardner Fox, I did not. Sorry, I'm not a comic book expert. Doing my best. Anyway, so the picture Starro if he was like built into the ground. Um, that's, that's what they see at the bottom of this cliff. And he's got tentacles. Well, he, I think he has tentacles in DC, doesn't he? I don't know. So anyway, that's, I I thought, I thought Lewis was talking about the Triceraton, but he was probably referring to this giant starfish when he said he had a bad feeling. And then the monster shoots like a tendril out and it impales nobody through the chest. It looks like something, it totally reminded me of something you'd see Carnage do. In yeah. a Spider-Man, like, Maximum Carnage story, it's very much like when you see the Carnage symbiote impale somebody, like, like off of his shoulder. Like, like it'll shoot out. 
Starro the Triceraton eats him, actually. Fires... Starro eats nobody, which is pretty messed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting there. So the Triceraton, he fires down, but the monster doesn't seem too phased by that shot. And then, yeah, he eats nobody, who he brought down with the tendril. Casey grabs nobody's duffel bag and arms all of the explosives inside of it. So this is why we've had this duffel bag the whole time. Apparently it's been filled with explosives. Uh, He tosses it like into the air, causing a huge explosion that causes a cave-in and kills the star monster. So would have been a really cool sequence in a movie, I think. And everybody's pretty then, unfazed by the death of nobody, I have to say. Yeah, it does not come up. <laughs> yeah, it is. I literally, that's one of those things where, like, you get to the end of the issue and you're like, wait, did did he? And you have to, like, reread the last few pages. Like, no, yeah, that's where he died. And then they just kind of went on. That's why I like when Leo so, goes, everybody okay? Well, nobody is not okay, and nobody says anything yeah. about him. So Leonardo spots an escape hole in the roof of the cave, you know, the one they just blew up. Uh, everyone climbs up to escape, and then when Leonardo pokes his head out of the top of the hole, we see, like, dozens of soldiers and tanks and helicopters and, you know, anything you could think of couple of couple of jetpacks maybe I don't know that the, the whole military is there waiting for them and that's our cliffhanger ending the end I give them credit for not having Starro grab Leo at the end that's such a weird moment in this story because that thing's not gonna come up again ever nope <laughs> it's so weird that they were like it's almost like they were like, I don't want this nobody character anymore. Well, let's kill him on the second to last page and never reference what this weird monster thing is again. I almost feel like it would have made more sense for them to just get through, find the hole, and nobody recklessly charging the army and getting killed. Because the whole thing with the star route, it's yep. cool. But it comes out of nowhere, which is weird because you have aliens and stuff right now, but... Like you said, you just go through a door into a cavernous, gigantic chasm, and there's a giant starfish alien in there. Well, it reminded me of that, like, thing you see in a hundred sci-fi stories like this, where you find, like, the, the secret government lab and stuff like that. And to me, the star alien reminded me of, like, that that thing you'd always see where there's that one monster who's like kill me because they're like super mutated and and like living a terrible life you know what i mean like the put me out of my misery monster but this thing doesn't talk it's just living at the bottom of a cave it's like a sarlacc pit in a cave yeah but it it doesn't even have like the darpa people were doing anything to it it's just there. We don't even know if they know it's there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Which they must because they built this doorway into the cave, but seems like something you should be sealing off. I don't know. I don't know it what kind like of research something... they're getting out of this. <laughs> something one of them built and then they brought it up in a meeting and went, you did what? You wasted how much? No. We just don't go down there now. <laughs> so. 
Just don't go down there. <laughs> every every couple of months, we just you know send an intern in there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and we th- say that's... he didn't come to work that day. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's a secret government One facility. Thing I noticed they don't have it... to say anything. So. <laughs> One thing I noticed in this issue that I don't think they've done before is you can really notice the Triceratons' beaks. They color them a different color, and I think it's the first time they've done that. I don't think I've – I don't think they've ever been this prominent. Like, they really – and I know they're based on Triceratops, and that's kind of what a Triceratops beak would be like, but – I don't know. It's just never been this prominent before. It's never been this obvious, and I really like it. Yeah, especially in that panel when he's looking at the reader. Yeah. I mean, rating-wise, I gave this a 4.1 just because, again, it, it's it got a lot of great stuff in it that I wish they just had more time for. Yeah. it's, And we'll get more into that. I think next issue we'll do like a... Yeah. Just like I wish they had more time for this story. I wish they had or a bigger team. And I, I I know nothing about what was going on behind the scenes at Mirage, but I feel like the Turtles were bringing in enough money to hire a staff of more than it seems like just like five people were working on the book. Yeah. It, it, it just feels like they could have had multiple artists like, like Marvel and DC, like you, you know, they the, the, the big two don't typically, from what I've heard, and again, I don't know how the comic book industry works. If you do get a hold of us, let, let us know, educate us. But I've heard that even the big two don't pay much more than indie uh, developers do, indie publishers do. So it's like, it's not a, a case of they weren't getting paid enough, I don't think. So I don't, I don't know what was up with all these delays and stuff. Uh, I, I know with the big two, you have like backup artists where you can be like, hey, I'm behind. Can you do these three? Can you finish these three pages for me? And then obviously they'll get a credit. But yeah, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like that's what keeps the big two rolling is they can do that. Whereas Mirage, it was like five guys. If they're behind, they can't be like, hey, finish these pages for me. Because it seems like Kevin and Peter were too busy with other stuff. At this point, they were probably busy negotiating the Image Comics deal. Because <laughs> they did that in some way where they're able to get the franchise back afterwards. Which I would love to know the details of like what the Image Agreement was. Yeah, that that is interesting. I didn't think of that. That especially and I know they still. The that's how they're doing. I know that's how they're doing. Last Ronin right now is even their deal with Nickelodeon. I don't. I think they've had more creative control over these characters than like any creator whose character has made it this big, because even nobody like yeah, there's successful indie comics like Cerberus and like Spawn and like and Bone, but none of them were like bought by Nickelodeon and put on a major cartoon while the contract still allowed the original creators to make comic books. And that's part of their, to this day, agreement with Nickelodeon. The reason they're able to make The Last Ronin is even though they sold it to Nickelodeon, they retained the rights to still make their own turtle book if they wanted to. And that's crazy. That never happens. Yeah, I'd love to. 
I don't know if anybody knows more about the image thing because that, like I said, that's fascinating because it's not like Turtles was this little low rent property, you know? Yeah. And before we do those episodes, I need to look up if it was always a temporary thing. Like, will will you have the rights to the Turtles for two years and then at that point we'll reassess? Like, kind of like... Kind of like how Sony owns Spider-Man, but they have to make a Spider-Man movie every year or they lose it or they have to have one in a stage of production. They obviously don't have to put one out every year, but that's how you get a lot of those uh, magical X-Men movies. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I wonder if it was like that where they were like, "Okay, you can publish Turtle Comics for like two years or whatever it is. I can't remember, but whatever was it, 26 issues. So, yeah, that's about two years. So two years you can publish them for, and then we'll reassess if we want to keep going. Or I, it might have been that. It, I got to find that out. I really do before we start doing those episodes. We'll let our listeners know because it's a fascinating chapter to me in Turtles history. I can't wait to get to those books, and we're only two episodes away. <laughs> so what would you rate this one? I gave this one a 4.2, which is okay. exactly what I gave last week. I... I think it's, you know, it's got some great action. It's silly. It's fun. It's really good. I, li- I like this issue. Again, we we said it with every issue this volume. It, they never hit a five, but they never dip below a four, I don't think. What was your rating? I gave it a 4.1. But like I said, it's just... Oh, a whole point one difference. If, if they had more <laughs> time and... I just thought it was weird how unceremoniously they get rid of nobody. It is weird, and it, it's a weird character. Like, yeah. It's almost like, did he need to be on this story at all? <laughs> well, where else were they going to get that duffel bag of boom boom? I'm sure Casey Jones could have found a duffel bag of explosives or the psychic guy. Like, we know nothing about his past other than he used to work for DARPA, so maybe he still has a lot of this stuff. I mean, nobody... He is- feels redundant. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree, he does. Nobody isn't, like, one of the best characters, like, right now, as we're going through. But it was just strange to me, because yeah. he's from Volume 1. He plays in, mm-hmm. uh, at least, part of one of Casey's most important moments. So it's just strange that <laughs> this is how they get rid of him. I feel like even they don't have the character fully down in their minds yet. Because, like, sometimes he's all about, like, what's right by the law like this is what the law says and that's kind of what he's doing when he was making Casey feel bad at the end of volume one like oh you know you should turn yourself in all that stuff but then other times it's like they want to make him like the Punisher where where he's like just like shooting everything and shooting helicopters down and then I don't know uh you know it's it's weird it's like they wanted the turtles to have some kind of inside man in the police but then they were like, you know what? This isn't even coming up that often that they need an inside man at the police. Yeah. Nobody has a metador he can't blow up. <laughs> Actually, now that I'm thinking of it, if uh, Arrow there had been nobody in Out of the Shadows, I would have been all right with that. You know what? Oh, my God. How has that never occurred to me? Because he's a cop. Yeah. That's so much better. Sense. 
Oh, we got. I'm putting that note down for when we do that movie review, which by the time you're listening to this, we've already posted. So that's how weird recording podcasts are when you do them a little out of order. But yeah, that's crazy. So anyway, I think, yeah, I think that's all our thoughts. I, I don't have much else on this issue. No, I mean, like I said, it, it's it's a more consistent run than volume one, but it's never reaches the heights of Great Turtles. Starro was in, in Smallville? What? Starro makes a brief appearance in the comics tie-in to Smallville. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I was going to say. Right, I thought... <laughs> I thought it was this. I was like, there's no way he was on that show. I still haven't finished that. Um, making my way through it. It's good. I really like it. It just like, you know, like any of those shows, it's like you can only take so much of it before you need a little break. <laughs> so anyway, thank you guys for listening to our Ninja Turtle show that is not about Superman or the X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> Please remember to subscribe If you like the show and you want to make sure you don't miss our new episodes, we're going to be starting Volume 3 really soon, and you will not want to miss that. Next episode's the last one of Volume 2, and then Volume 3, we're going to start having guests on the show. Everything's going to get crazy because that volume is crazy. There's going to be so much to talk about. Uh, So be sure to subscribe. Leave us a review because there are people out there. Here's a secret. Here's why every podcast tells you to leave a review it's not just because they want their show to score well okay it's because there's a it helps in the algorithm of the internets it helps your show show up over other people's shows when they search for things like turtle podcast more reviews and more recent reviews help that out in the algorithm so more people can find the show so if you like us and you want us to grow Leave us a review. That helps us grow. The second reason is some people, and I'll admit I'm sometimes guilty of this, not always, won't even try a new podcast if they scroll down and see, oh, it hasn't even had a review left in two years. Like, is this show even, like, are people even listening to this thing? So if people aren't leaving recent reviews, some people won't even give a show a try. But yeah, anyway... So leave us a review. It really, really helps us out.